You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, here on Reality Check Radio. And I'm so thrilled to introduce my next guest, longtime friend, fellow speaker, fellow author, the amazing Karen Tui boys Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, I'm excited to be here, Nick. I'm so excited to interview you. I know you, you've got masses of experience interviewing people, running summits, doing all the things. But today we're going in a slightly different direction. We were, we're going to be talking with Karen today about the school system is broken and how to fix it. If you haven't met Karen before, Karen Tui Boys is a champion for lifelong learning, and she's on a mission to transform education globally. Described as an educational alchemist, a conscious creator, and a playful priestess, she turns research into practical strategies which positively impact teaching and learning. A multi-award winning speaker, educator, and businesswoman, Karen is an expert in effective teaching, learning, study skills, motivation, and positive thinking. She is the CEO of Spect- Spectrum Education, principal of Spectrum Online Academy, and the author of 11, are you kidding me, 11 books. She loves empowering teachers, parents, and students, and is the wife to one and the mother to two young adults. Karen is named the Global Evolutionary Woman of the Year for 2022. It is an absolute honor. Welcome, Karen. Oh, my pleasure. Yay. So excited to have you here. And I mean, you know, there's so many topics we could talk about, but I know this one is so close to your heart at the moment. I know you guys can't see Karen. We are both wearing purple today. She has a necklace with a heart on it. And so before we dive into how the school system is broken and what that looks like, what we're going to do about it, can you give us a little bit of backstory on you? Like just what is, where did you get to this point where you're helping families um, in the education space? Mm. Uh, so cure uh, everyone. And yes, um, I have been blessed my whole entire life to know my purpose on this planet was to teach. And so I don't know, there was nothing earth shattering that happened. I didn't have an amazing teacher as a child. I just knew I was here to be a teacher. So I did what every child would do. I got all the way through school. I went off to teachers college and university and I went and taught in the classroom environment. And I loved teaching. It was truly my passion. And very quickly, though, I started to realize that things weren't right. I watched children at the age of five coming into our school system with that light in that eyes, their zest for learning, that uh, um, curiosity. And I started to see it die. And I wanted to know why. Why is this uh, love of learning dying? What are we doing in the school system that's killing the very thing that we should be promoting? So I left teaching, it's a staggering 29 years ago, to make a bigger difference because I realized I could make a bigger difference outside the classroom than I could within the classroom because I could affect my 36 six-year-olds is what I was teaching at the time, 27 of them were boys. So if any of the listeners have been an educator, you'll know uh, there'll be a cringe because boys are definitely more time demanding (laughs) on a teacher than the girls are. So my nine lovely girls, my uh, 27 boys. uh, So I could make a bigger difference outside because if I could work with teachers, if I could work with parents, uh, which was my initial goal, uh, then I could have them affecting so many more students, so many more people. And so that's what I've been doing uh, for the last uh, 20, uh, 29 years. 
Well, congratulations on knowing your purpose. I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, some people don't think about it. Some people think about it a lot. And the fact that you knew your path and you also had the courage to step out of what was, you're like, this doesn't feel like I'm I'm having enough impact. And so you were able to amplify, as I like to say, amplify your impact by helping the teachers and empowering them and the principals. That's amazing. Um, but obviously in the last three years, how have, so how have things changed from your perspective? I know you've been out of the actual teaching scene for a while, but what have you noticed in the last three years in terms of the education system and schooling? Um, well, uh, in the last three years, uh, it's been challenging. It's been tough. And what uh, really piqued my interest around learning was that uh, there were four types of learners uh, that we discovered during uh, lockdowns because, of course, everybody had to transfer to uh online teaching. Now, I always smile when uh, teachers went, I just don't know how to engage them online. And I went, that's because you can't engage them offline. <laughs> um, so, you know, think about uh, some of the teachers you had, they weren't inspiring in person, so they can't be inspiring uh, uh, online. But the four types of students that I've noticed in the last four years, they were the ones that sorry, last three years during lockdown, the ones that teachers thought would engage and did engage, the ones that teachers thought would engage but didn't engage, the ones that they thought wouldn't engage and didn't engage, and then the ones that I'm really interested in is the ones that they didn't think would engage but did. Now, these children really fascinate me because they weren't doing well in a school system uh, for many different reasons, yet suddenly uh, they went did really well uh, from home and uh, just, uh, I guess, um, surprised many, many teachers that these kids did really well. But here's the problem. They've gone back into the school system. So they've gone back into the system that wasn't working for them. And uh, there's a huge amount of students that are still in that school system that it still isn't working for. So to answer your question, what's changed for me in the last three years is just before COVID hit, in fact, in January, we had already decided to transition our business online. So uh, we had been running face-to-face -face conferences uh, in New Zealand and Australia for teachers and parents and students, and we decided uh, to be able to transition them online in January. So when COVID hit, we were already ready to be online. So plus I'd had the experience in 19, no, not 19, 2016 uh, of working in a school system in New Zealand that is completely online. So I uh, had all that knowledge and was able to transfer that pivot, pirouette was the words, wasn't it, uh, very quickly. However, um, what I also saw in uh, late 2021 was when the mandates came in, I saw a lot of teachers choosing uh, not to uh, go down the path that they were um, being asked to go down. And I realized there were lots of parents who also didn't want their children in the school system. So what I did at that point in time was I went, I held a public meeting and I went, how can we... Uh, link the mandated teachers with uh, parents who don't want their students in the school system. And so we started our own online school. I love that. I love that you're a match matchmaker like I am. You're like, how can we link these people that have a need with these people that have a skill yeah. and a service to offer? Um, that's so great. And how? what was the response? Uh, huge. 
Absolutely huge. And uh, there were several online schools that uh, started at the same time. And uh, there's only a couple of us still going. And uh, parents are just delighted. Kids are delighted. We are having incredible results. Uh, And for me, it's been an amazing affirmation of what I've been teaching in the last 29 years all around the world Uh, as a keynote speaker, being able to put it into practice and actually seeing it in action has been incredible. Can I just say this too, Natalie? The other thing that really changed for me in those three years, prior to COVID, I had worked in 22 different countries uh, physically. Um, I used to travel on planes all the time. Uh, and as you can imagine, <laughs> uh, on average, uh, two planes a week. And uh, now, now during COVID, I've now worked in 41 different countries. Who knew mm. I could have a bigger impact from home wearing my slippers? And I'm actually wearing my slippers right now. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so a bigger impact over these last two years. So for me, COVID has been a bit of a gift. Um, to be able to use the skills that um, I had, being able to match people together and uh, create something that was going to be fit for purpose for people who needed it. Yeah, and there's a ton of people that the traditional school system doesn't work for. And this isn't new. Like this is people our age and and, and older that they went through the school system. They're like, it did not serve me. And now that people have more choices than ever before um, is amazing. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would love if at some point in the interview, can you share one to two activities that you do with your students that that, that really are amazing? Like something that you do with them and the, you're always astounded by what they come up with or something like that. Really? Yeah, I will. Okay. Later. <laughs> later. I'll ask you that. I'll ask you that later on. And if I forget, please try to mention it. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the school system then. So your view and many other people's view as well, is that the school system is broken. So what do you mean by broken? And then we're going to get into the old how to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the 1800s. We're going to go for a history lesson, and then we're going to go for a future lesson. (laughs) So if we go back to the 1800s, mass education was set up to create employees. It was also set up to keep a class structure. We needed the haves and the have-nots. It was created to uh, make sure that people uh, could but were taught that they were smart or they were not smart. Now we know this because uh, in England and in countries that use the same model, including New Zealand, uh, and in New Zealand there is a document in 1907 that said let's have a exam system so that's how we can tell if people are smart or not and we will teach them that uh, 50% of them will fail and 50% will pass. And so what that means is we are going to actively teach 50% of them they're not good enough, mm-hmm. that they uh, can't do the inf- uh, you know the job, that they're not smart. Um, and of course, they use reading, writing, and maths as the three uh, main subjects to be able to test this. And by the way, if we quickly flick into the present, uh, our education system in New Zealand is still the same. I know NCA doesn't say that they fail 50% and they pass 50%. It's actually about 55% that pass and 45% that fail. It hasn't changed much. So it's still a system that is uh, graded to make sure so many pass and so many fail because you can't have everybody passing. In fact, when I was at university, Adrian Alton Lee was my uh, 
uh, it, uh, my what do you call them? Um, lecturer, <laughs> my lecturer, and uh, she got fired because she uh, um, told everybody how to get an A, and everybody in class got an A, and she was fired because you can't have everybody getting an A. It wasn't okay. And she said, but to get a C, you had to do this to get an B, you had to do this to get an A, you had to do this. And she was fired because everyone got A's. Um, so uh, our, it's a little different now, but not much, not much. Um, so uh, can I, can I, I got to jump in because there'll yeah. be some people listening as per all of my interviews, I imagine some people listening, nodding their head profusely going, yep, mm-hmm, that's so that's what's happening. That's what's always happened. There'll be other people going, huh, like, you know, raising an eyebrow going, huh, I never really thought about it, but actually that does. And then there'll be other people with resistance going, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. They wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, and then those emotions come up for pretty much every topic I cover. Um, so yeah, carry on. I just want to acknowledge that and now we'll move on. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can go in, uh, into the public files and have a look. 1907, our government actually says we want to fail 50% of them, and they actually state why. So you ready why? Basically, and I'm going to uh, use my own language, but basically it says let's teach them they're dumb, let's teach them they're stupid, and they'll go and work where? Where do you think they wanted them to work in 1907? In the factories. Not factories in this country. In factories in England, yes. But in New Zealand, on the farms because our most uh, 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 that's where our money came from in the early 1900s in this country it was farming still does now farming is a very different beast right uh, you need a degree uh, in accounting you need a degree in statistics you need <laughs> you need a lot uh, to be a great farmer right now but back in 1907 so we're over 100 years ago they wanted people to be on the farms so they actively sought to teach people that they weren't smart and uh, I know and it feels really like uh uh, confronting. And I, um, one of uh, New Zealand's top speakers, when she heard me say this many years ago, she came up to me afterwards and she went, so I'm not dumb. She said, I failed school cert and I thought I was dumb. I'm like, no, 50% had to fail. You were just in that second half. Uh, you are not dumb. And she said, for my whole entire life, I thought I was dumb. I'm like, no, you're not. It was the system letting you down. Uh, because if everybody knew the answers to every single question, still 50% would have to fail. And so, again, it's not quite 50%, but it's around about that mark now. That so, will be a shoulder drop moment, by the way, for some people listening, just hearing what you just said. Wait yes. a minute. And they'll be thinking, wait a minute. My whole life, I thought I was done. And like some people might even shed a tear just listening to that. So I wanted to honor those people. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, NASA did a study in 1994, and their study was, uh, well, they actually looked at their, they said, how can we get more astronauts? We need more good quality astronauts, or I don't suppose you get a bad quality astronaut, um, but we need more astronauts. And so what they did is they went, they came up with a test to be able to find out what skills, what strategies, what um, like great things did astronauts have that they were looking for. And it was creative and divergent thinking is what they wanted. So what they did is they went all the way back and they went, where, where do we notice these? So they interviewed hundreds of thousands of five-year-olds and uh, gave them a test to find out if they were creative and divergent thinkers. Now, I'm going to ask you, Nat, I'm going to put you on the spot and the listeners uh, think about your own answer. But what percentage of four and five-year-olds do you think NASA found were creative and divergent thinkers? 
like 90. 90? I yeah. wonder what people are saying at home. Well, uh, the answer was 98%. I know. Nearly all of our four and five-year-olds are creative geniuses, creative divergent thinkers. Now, what do you think that dropped down to when they were 10 years old? Mm, yeah, like probably 50. 50? I'm going to tell you in a minute. Uh, what do you think it is in adulthood? It'll be tragic. It'll be like 30. <laughs> 30? All right. Well, this is interesting. So 98% of our four and five-year-olds are creative divergent thinkers. Of our 10-year-olds, 30%. Of our 15-year-olds, 12%. Mm. Of our adults, 2%. That is shocking, right? Something yeah. happens between five and adulthood. It's a six-letter word called school. Because school does not treat us as geniuses. It does not nurture the genius capacity within us. It uh, makes us uh, scared to be able to um, make a mistake, which is how we truly learn. And it des was designed originally to be able to create employees because that's what we needed, employees in our factories. Now, let's go to the future for a moment. Uh, beginning of this century, uh, we're in the beginning of the third millennium. I just want you to place yourself in the history of the world right now. We're in the middle of the uh, beginning of the third millennium. And at the beginning of this millennium, uh, futurists said by 2030, two billion jobs would be gone from this planet. They also said by 2030 uh, that 60% of the jobs that our kids would be going into hadn't been invented yet. And they also said, that, uh, and this is the stunning statistic that blows my mind, 40% of our five-year-olds will have to be self-employed to have any form of income. Now, I want you to go back. School was set up to create employees. Do as you're told, don't ask questions, turn up on time, don't rock the boat, do the work to a certain standard and clock out at the end of the day. That's a general mindset of a employee and by the way there is nothing wrong with being an employee right so I'm not saying there's anything bad with this but that is the mindset that school is uh, uh, cultivating uh, now let's go to our self-employed if you are self-employed you need a very different skills nobody knows if you turn up nobody knows if you're doing the work nobody knows well the client is going to know the quality of the work. You have to market the work. You have to uh, ring the clients. You have to get uh, do the invoicing. You have to do everything. You have to be multi-skilled. And here's one of the fundamental problems. In our classrooms right now, teachers are still marking the role at year 13 every hour to see if they're there. Uh, no one's going to mark the role when they're in university. No one's going to mark the role when they are... Um, out of school and self-employed, they have to learn these skills at some point, but we're still creating employees. Now, here's the other stunning part. I believe it was the co-founder of Amazon or one of those big companies who has said that COVID has shifted that timeline right down. It was 2030. It's now now. 40% of our kids are going to have to be self-employed to have any form of income. We need a whole different system to create employee uh, self-employment. 
I agree. And I mean, you're listing off all those attributes. I'm the only one in my family and even my extended family, I think that is a entrepreneurial, you know, like that run, works for themselves, runs their own business. It is a totally different skill set. And it's not a set. It's a set of multiple skills. Like you said, many, many hats. And I feel like you're right. The kids start with those skills, but then they, they kind of get quashed. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do. Uh, because again, they're scared of making mistakes in school. What they praised for See, what we praise kids for is getting the work done. What we need to be praising them for is the effort they put in. And there's a big difference between effort and completion. And, uh, and you know, if you look around uh, many classroom walls, everything on the wall is perfect. So what does that tell kids? That if you're not perfect, you're not good enough. And so there's all of these subconscious messages that are being um, given to our children about who they are, what they should be valuing, and uh, maybe that they're not good enough. And your belief is that they're all geniuses. I think one of the things you say is our children are geniuses. So tell me more about that. They are absolute geniuses. They, and I mean, NASA has uh, said that. Uh, they... Um, well, let me give you an example. Um, the, just this morning when we're recording this, my class that I teach every week, um, did they've been doing a photography unit for the last um, the last three weeks. And so they've learned everything about photography. They've been going out and doing photography. And today they had an exhibition. And it was the most stunning thing. Already out of that, and I can say it was three hours ago from when we are recording this, Already from that, I have one child whose uh, photographs were so incredible that she's already contacting someone to have an exhibition in their cafe, uh, and they're good enough to sell. Uh, genius. She didn't even know that she had uh, any skills with photography. I have another one who wrote such a compelling, funny story around what he has done. He actually is in Auckland, and he took a vacuum cleaner um, wrote the story about the vacuum cleaner being sad, being in the dark closet and wanted to take the vacuum cleaner, wanted some adventure. So he actually took his vacuum cleaner around Auckland and photographed it up one tree hill um, to Sylvia Park in the middle of the shopping centre. There's this photograph of this vacuum cleaner. Uh, (laughs) He took it to the beach. Uh, The vacuum cleaner was naughty at one stage and got put in a wheelie bin. He took it to the playground. Uh, You know, but this is genius. This is divergent thinking that this kid has come up with. And I don't think we have laughed so much side-splitting stuff as he took us through his exhibition today. Uh, And that's just a tiny snippet of what I see every single day from these kids, whether they um, love um, hunting and fishing, whether they love cars, whether they love ballet and uh, uh, dyeing hair different colors. they have these genius within them. And uh, in a mass classroom, we can't access that because we are uh, teachers are uh, strung by uh, having to do what the government has asked them to do and the curriculum that they are doing and uh, with so many children in their classroom often. I was just thinking that they're, they're essentially corralling you know, between the corralling they're doing and the curriculum they need to adhere to, there's not a lot of time for kids to be able to express themselves and try different things. They just have to kind of get in line and be quiet. Yeah. 
Um, and, and that's, you think about what we were taught when we were school, uh, sit still and be quiet. Um, two, two skills that you cannot do as an entrepreneur. You cannot be quiet as an entrepreneur. You have to be able to shout from the rooftops about what you're doing and why the benefits of it and why people should buy from you. And you cannot sit still and just wait for the business to come to you, right? Um, I do this. Uh, I often speak at prize givings at the end of a school year. And I love this because you've got the entire community there. And I usually hold up a uh, $20 or $50 note, depending on what I have at the time. Uh, and I hold it up and I say, who wants it? And I can ask that question six, seven, eight, ten times. And what happens is when I'm saying who wants it, everyone raises their hand, pick me, pick me, pick me. And they're all shouting, pick me, pick me. But that doesn't work in, in the real world, right? You actually have to get up and move forward, take a risk, <laughs> and take that $20, $50 note. And they don't know if I'm going to make them do something silly. They're not gonna, they don't know if I'm going to go, oh, you can't really have it now. I give it to them and ask them to. Um, use it to make a difference in the world uh, but they don't know that right and so but we they've been taught to sit still and just raise your hand and wait your turn if you wait your turn you're going to miss out I love it so does eventually does one of the kids come up and grab it is that what yes, happens or, or or do you get 10 kids clobbering you at the front oh, of the usually stage? usually one kid gets up and starts to move which gives the others the uh the confidence to get up and you Unfortunately, here's what happens. That one who got up first and started to move uh, gets overtaken by the ones who see, see what's happening and go, I can get there faster. <laughs> and so, so even being the early adopter and not going fast enough can actually not be a useful thing. Such yeah, a great lesson. Someone gets it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great lesson. Um, if you're ready, I would love for you to share some examples. I mean, I love the example of the photography. Um, my boy is actually doing photography right now, year 10, and, and that's that's awesome for him. Um, but it'd be so great if they could do it younger, right? So give us some examples of one to two activities that you've done with, with the kids at your school um, that you think have really showcased that kids have really are geniuses. There's so many. Last year, we did a entrepreneurial unit because we are very strong on making sure kids understand how money works and how the world works. And they had to uh, come, go through a design process and come up with a um, product. And Nat, you were actually one of the um, uh, the dragons at the Dragon's Den. We actually held a Dragon's Den and the children actually presented their ideas. And they were incredible. They, uh, you know, just the ideas and one of the dragons, uh, the other dragons was like, I actually want to invest in that. <laughs> um, and it wasn't something that was the kids were going to take further. Uh, but this year, uh, this year we um, did a design process on games and all the students have designed a game. And uh, three of my students are actually now heading towards crowdfunding those games. Uh, because again, they are incredible. So we do things like that. We do we do school very differently. We do a three week deep dive. So we get to do three weeks on one topic, and so it might be chemistry in the kitchen. So we are uh, cooking for three weeks and learning about the chemistry of food and what's actually going on when uh, things go brown and uh, why things rise and all that sort of thing. Or it might be. Sometimes we do a one-week topic uh, like uh, we did one last year where the kids were typing, learning to type. 
I don't know about the listeners, but I had the choice in school to do French or typing. That's That was the choice I had. And I remember saying, because I'm old, uh, I remember saying, I don't even need to type. I'm not going to be a secretary. I'll learn French. Now, I can tell you after three years of French, I've been to France once. I tried to speak French. It was so bad that the French people spoke English directly back to me. Um, I'd heard that French are arrogant. It's not my experience at all. I tried very badly. But the point is, I never learned to type because I still do have the two fingers. But our kids learned to touch type in one week. Uh, And um, so we do... We cover the curriculum, Uh, we do Healthy Happy Me, and they learn about exercise and how to eat well, and uh, and, uh, and then they do exploration where they can uh, learn anything. One of our students learned the ukulele and and still practices every single day. So, you know, we just, um, these kids are geniuses and we give them license and scope and choice to go wherever they want with their learning within a frame that we've given them, but they can go outside that frame so easily. I think, you know, it's amazing for the kids that are at that school. And, but I think that the lesson that we can take from the, some of the parents out there listening is just a reminder to create those fun opportunities for your kids wherever they go to school to and allow them to follow the fire, meaning like whatever lights them up, whatever excites them, you know, if they want to go and explore you know, there's like the river down, down the, around the corner. Um, you know, obviously you need to be safe, but just, or if they want to try chemistry in the kitchen, because some parents would be like, no, no, don't make a mess. You know? So it's like, let's let them do, remember when they were young and they wanted to suddenly get out the paints and paint all over the show. And I would be like, sure, no problem. I'm, I was that mom that just let them do stuff. But I think we still need to remember to let them have some of those fun exploratory, um, experiences because otherwise if they just stick to the curriculum stuff, especially if it doesn't light them up, they would Will, they will lose interest. Um, thank you for sharing those examples and reminding me of the Dragon's Den. By the way, someone that I met through you, my fellow judge on that, I think, is his name Travis? Yes, Travis. Yes. Yep. Okay, so I met Travis through you because he is the bucket list guy. Like if you literally Google or go to LinkedIn, he is the bucket list guy. So I'm having him come on my show at some point as oh, a yay. guest to talk all about the bucket list. So I'm going to ask you about yeah. your bucket list later on. I'd love to dive now into the school system is broken, how to fix it. What are your thoughts on how to fix it? Yeah, um, so I don't know that it's fixable right now, to be fair. I think it's too entrenched. uh, uh, And while I work with teachers and I love teachers and I think their hearts are all in the right place, these are people who have been successful through the school system, gone back into the school system, often haven't had any experience outside the school system and know nothing else. It's almost like a fish in the water doesn't know what the water is. And so uh, in many of the mandated teachers that I now talk to who uh, who had were forced to step out of or chose to step out of education have looked back in and gone, gone, there's no way I can go back in because they can see it's broken. So many of our teachers uh, who are in there Well, they probably know, but they can't see how broken it is because they're in there. The water is all around them and they are in a way feeding that because they don't can't see it from the outside. So some of the ways that we can, though, um, is to personalize learning. How do we personalize that learning so that we can be flexible and help children to become self-directed? 
what are the beliefs that you have as an educator and as a parent around learning and knowledge? Because knowledge is cool and we teach knowledge every single day, but we actually focus on that learning. Because if you ask your child, what did you do at school today? They will say, well, actually, universally, they say nothing because millions of kids do nothing all day at school. But if you ask them a bit further, they'll go, we did maths, we did reading, we did writing, we did chemistry, we did uh, physics, we did PE. They will just say what they did. But if you ask, what did you learn? That's a very different question. Now, when you first ask this, they'll still say reading, writing, maths, uh, because they don't understand the difference between doing and learning. So what are you learning about right now? And so really having that learning focus is extremely important. I think another thing that uh, needs to be really highlighted in a classroom environment is the executive functions. So these are the skills that allow us to be great learners. Things like self-control, the ability to be able to stop thinking before you act, um, to be able to self-monitor and uh, evaluate oneself. Our children actually in our school have a blog where they self-monitor and self-evaluate and they even write their own reports. One child wrote a 3,000 word report last year. Um, I had to read it. <laughs> but uh, it was stunning as he understood his own learning journey. Uh, do they have emotional control? Can they be flexible when things go wrong? Can they? Are they good at task initiation? It's all right to know what you have to do, but are they procrastinating? And how do you get through that? Do they have organization skills? Do they have planning and time management? And all of these skills are transferable into the real world in any sphere, whether you are uh, self-employed or whether you are an employee. Do they have great working memory? Can they hold on to information to be able to complete a task? So these are some of the executive functions that are really important for our kids. And so if we can be highlighting those instead of just learning information again knowledge is cool but learning information uh, and learning the skills behind all of that for instance can I just say this for instance uh, we've just done this photography unit and several of my students this morning said when we did the exhibition said this unit has really made me see the world differently I see shadows I see light and dark I see perspective I see um uh, different points of view uh, and now they're talking about it from photography but now I'm going to say okay well let's look at a different point of view from from something else where else is point of view important where else is perspective important and so we grow this concept with them now because they have it through the photography and now we can uh, grow it so it's that ability to not just be about the content but about the process so good. The difference between learning and knowledge and also the difference between skills and information because they can look up and Google anything. They can get the information. It's the skills that they need to, to pick up. So that's amazing. Um, okay. I'm so excited to ask you about the, the up your brave question, which is coming up. These are the four questions I ask every guest. Uh, what is one thing that you've done in the past year where you truly upped your brave? In the last year. Um, well, I think it's probably going to be starting the school. Um, it was not uh, on my radar um, 
to do that uh, but there was a need and um, I had actually tried to start a, a public school um, a private school really in Upper Hutt uh, about 20 years ago I had the backing of the council and everything but we couldn't find land so um, it was a real shame but um, uh, yeah so for me it would be uh, upping my brave to really step out there and go this is what's needed let's put our um, our our money where our mouth is, our, our, um, our experience, and uh, and then trust the teachers that have been working alongside me uh, to deliver what we absolutely know to be an amazing curriculum. I wanted to ask you so I don't forget, what um, what is the age range of the kids at your school at the moment? So at the moment, we've got uh, 10-year-olds right through to uh, year 12 so they're probably 16 17 depending on where they're at so we have uh, a so we have the middle school and then we have uh, the senior school where students um, we work differently with the ones who are doing exams yeah nice okay bucket list Uh, what is one thing on your bucket list meaning something you would like to do be or experience in your lifetime that possibly the rcr up your brave community can help you with Okay, well, I'm going to up my brave to answer this question, all right? Um, What I would really love on my bucket list is to be able to expand our school. Right now, we're charging $5,000 a year for some parents that is uh, not affordable, uh, particularly if uh, they're not working or um, uh, just don't have that kind of income. And so we would love to be able to make that more accessible. So we are looking for investors, sponsors, to be able to even sponsor our teachers so they can be earning great money um, or just make a life out of it uh, and more students. So I'd love to know who do you know who would love to be able to experience this incredible learning that we are uh, providing? Yay, amazing. Um, And I think more people are, more people, especially even post-COVID, but as time goes on and we start realizing a lot of the stuff they are teaching in schools and a lot of the stuff they're not teaching in schools, which is what you just highlighted, a lot of people are starting to look at other options. So this brings me so nicely to where can people connect with you? So where can they connect with you and what's coming up for you in the next six months? Uh, There's only one place you can go to connect with me. It's my website. Everything else launches from there. It's spectrumeducation.com. Spectrumeducation.com. From there, you can find out about the academy. You can find out about our teacher programs, our student programs, our parent programs. You can find out everything from there. So what I've got coming up in a couple of weeks' time, we have our Teachers Matter Online Summit where I have been interviewing 30 incredible educators from around the world about how to uh, keep educating um, and upping uh, the level of education for our teachers and our students in the classroom. We have a parent summit summit coming up in October. Uh, Those dates are set, but they haven't been released yet, uh, where, again, um, we talk that summit is focused on confidence, independence, and focus... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even in that mode. Uh, confidence, independence, and uh, something else. Uh, that Something we, else amazing. Something else amazing that we want for our children. <laughs> yes. You know, you've done so many of those summits before. I know I've recommended um, speakers to you in the past. How many people end up attending those? And those are online summits. Can you give me a couple of numbers? My very first one had 7,000 people at it, um, which is phenomenal for the first one. Uh 
the numbers have dropped off a little because, of course, there are um, so many options now and we um, are now charging for them because we know the value that we uh, place on it. But we would have between 500 to 1,000 on average at our summits. Amazing. And yeah, I just wanted to commend you because I know this the school that you're running now is relatively new. I mean, was it one or two years now? It, we're a year and a half in. A year and a half. Okay. But the summits and all the stuff, you've been doing that for many, many years. Yes. So yeah. I wanted to commend you. All right. So that's what's coming up. Amazing. All right, Karen. So before we wrap things up, is there anything you want to add um, along the lines of the school systems broken, how to fix it, um, empowering our families, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, your kids are geniuses. And uh, I think the the biggest thing, a couple of things. One, parents listening, your uh, child is, your heart is your soul. And I know that, but we have to let them live their own journey. We have to let them make their own mistakes. We have to let them uh, uh, go down a path that suits them, even if it doesn't suit us. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult to watch. Uh, they make those mistakes, but when they make those mistakes, that's truly how they learn. If they have the ability in behind them to be able to reflect, to be able to think. So answer their questions fully, um, allow them to ask those questions, Allow ask questions of them and allow them to reflect because your children are the future. And it's not about bubble wrapping them. It's not about putting them into a safe cocoon. It's about allowing them to flourish as we truly want them to. And we truly, truly do. Yeah. Well, you said some key words there. What song have you chosen for us that we're going to play in a few moments? Oh, if you're going to play it in a few moments, I was going to sing it. Shall I sing it? Oh, yeah. Do it. <laughs> it won't be nearly as good as the original. All right. My song is this one. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Here we go. Whitney Houston will do a much better job, but that is my mantra. They are our future. Teach them well. You truly upped your brave. I've never had a guest do that before. <laughs> Yay. Good, good on you. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for all the work that you're doing, Nat, and to all the people listening. Thank you for being here. Amazing. Thanks, everyone. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.